Hello and welcome to Beginning, Middle, End, the podcast where we talk to creators and story lovers about storytelling. Abstract painting was a reaction, the final break from realism that began in the Renaissance and peaked in the late 19th century. To do something different, artists had to play with color and application in the Impressionist period. They broke the world into shapes with cubism. They gave life to dreams with surrealism until artists like Jackson Pollock, Mark Rothko, and William de Kooning leapt off the edge and created a storytelling form the world had never seen. I'm Shane, and stories are my favorite things in the world. Here to talk about it with me today is artist Vital Germain. Vital Germain is a Belgian national born in the Democratic Republic of Congo who got to live the American dream by way of French-Canadian circus. Vital discovered art while performing in the groundbreaking Cirque du Soleil as an acrobat with Mystère in Las Vegas and touring the U.S. in Kidam. He's now a painter that fills canvases with emotion, moments, and energy. His work has been exhibited around the United States in upscale galleries, multi-million dollar model homes and magazines. In addition, he's a six-time author, fluent in three languages, a leadership coach, a public speaker, an ever-expanding collection of talents and experiences. Welcome to the podcast, Vital. Thank you, Shane. It's a pleasure to be here. What a lovely opening statement. I have a lot to live up to, but um, I love that you started with all those wonderful artists who basically paved the way for artists like me to tell stories, as you put it. So thank you. I'm honored to be here. Perfect. Yeah, you've got uh, so much to talk about. So let's just jump right in and talk about story. Broadly speaking, besides your life, which is like a Charles Dickens novel, what makes a good story? There are multiple components, I, I believe, to a good story. I think the, the first component that I probably lead with is it's about connecting emotionally or stimulating an emotional reaction. Humans, we are emotional beings. We are driven by emotions. All our decisions are based on emotions. And so a good story is going to connect to somebody's heart, not so much cerebrally, but I believe that if a story connects to somebody's heart, then that story has great value rather than just a, a series of statistics and facts. So there's got to be, also there's a, a, got to be a, a great character arc, the journey. It's all about the journey within the story. And that can be expressed, achieved through multiple mediums. We're talking today about art. I think art is, is not a linear form of storytelling, but it's still people don't have to necessarily understand per se the step-by-step -step journey but they feel the story, even if it's on a subconscious level. And why abstract art? A lot of your art is, is abstract and expressionistic. What draws you to that form of expression? For the same reasons as the, the great artists that you mentioned, the Jackson Pollocks, the Women the Cornings, the, um, all those great artists who shied away from conventionalism, from traditionalism. And for me, as an artist, I began as a student at UNLV here in Las Vegas. And it felt to have to do the realism part and you go through the steps of academia and you learn to do still lives and human form. And it felt constricting and very, it didn't feel natural for me because I wanted to express and the limitation of having to focus on the detail, it, it wasn't what I was about. And so for me, it was a, a, a question of freedom freedom to be me in all my beauty in all my ugliness in all my doubts in all my confidence in all the emotional things that humans experience i wanted to generally show up and say 
this is me and this is what I felt and this is what I've experienced. And I didn't want to be held back by having to be accurate and proper. It's being in the moment. And if I'm angry, that's what comes out on the canvas. If I'm feeling romantic and I want to kiss and make love, then that's what comes out on the canvas. But it's the, the freedom and the rawness of that expression. Okay, so let's talk about your process then. Pablo Picasso said there's no abstract art. You must always start with something. Afterward, you can remove all traces of reality. So do you start with an idea? Do you start with color and shape and see where it takes you? Talk about your process and how much is planned, how much is improvisation. So I combine all of those factors depending on the day, depending on my state of mind, depending on my mood. Uh, That Picasso guy, he kind of knew what he was talking about. (laughs) Um, he's one of my favorite artists. I'm heavily influenced by Picasso, Salvador Dali, Juan Miro, and of course, Jackson Pollock. So my process encompasses all of those. A part of it is what I learned again at UNLV as a student. Sometimes I might do a little sort of a, a sketch, an outline. But for the most part, it's something I've been triggered. It can be a conversation as we are having now. But there might be a talking point that in the back of my mind, something has been triggered. It can be a question of I went to a restaurant and the theme, the color palette of that restaurant subconsciously, it's all being absorbed. A huge component of art and expression storytelling is absorption of our our environment. And I tend to be very observant. Sometimes I go to the airport and I'm going to see somebody walk by and their walk was a bit unique and it's going to trigger a memory of somebody that either was a villain in my story or was a saving grace. And all those factors come together. So some days my process is I go in, I've seen the painting in my mind, and then I just go in and translate what I'm what I'm seeing. Sometimes I simply don't know where I'm going. I'm bored. Yeah, let me go to the studio. Let me just start throwing some paint on the canvas. And then out of that rawness, I step away and I think like, wow, I'm good. Or, wow, that's not quite... Um, let me let that dry and paint over it and start all over again. So the process is, as long as I can be spontaneous within the process, regardless of where I start, the beginning is only part of that journey. And I, I always want to guarantee a doorway to freedom. Now, you mentioned Salvador Dali as an influence. I know he was also a big influence on Mystere, the show that you were in. Talk about, uh, did this artistic aesthetic come from Cirque du Soleil, is it influenced by it or does it, does it predate Cirque du Soleil? No, Cirque du Soleil has a massive influence on my artistic expression, on my professional expression in other fields. But the, the director, Franco Dragone, very surreal in his expression, in his creation. Also, people like Fellini, storytelling. And some of the great components of the Cirque du Soleil experience that I I like to think that I capture in in my artwork is multiple things. During the process with Cirque du Soleil, there was a deep extraction of who we were as people, vulnerability, being willing to step out of your comfort zone and take a risk and fail spectacularly. So that removes inhibitions. Then there was the beauty of acrobatics, dance, theater. So there's movement There's energy. And again, going back to the academics of doing a still life, that lacks movement, that lacks energy. And I found this freedom of expression through flying in the air. The the fact that I had this 
wonderful opportunity to fly on a trapeze. I wanted to capture all of that in in my artwork. So it's a culmination of all the things, but Cirque du Soleil, Miss Dare, Franco Dragone, Debbie Brown. Franco Dragone is the director of Miss Dare. Debbie Brown is and was the choreographer and just ob- observing their creative process. A part of their process was very unscripted. At least that was my impression. I'm sure they probably did hours of research and homework in, in the background, but the the creative process was so organic. It was in the moment. And for example, the choreographer, Debbie Brown, would sometimes ask us like, show me your jump. Show me how the how seaweed smiles. And that's your, your prompt. How does seaweed smile? I've got to start digging into my imagination. What does that look like? What does that feel like? And so all those elements of creation, I, I sort of brought to the table. Was it done intentionally? Maybe. Is it definitely subconscious? Absolutely. It's become a part of my DNA, part of my story. So let me dive into that a little more because you you did talk about in your autobiography, Flying Without a Net, part one and two, about that whole process of, of auditioning for Mystere. You didn't know it was Mystere at the time. And all of these uh, highly trained dancers coming prepared to do choreography. And then you have the coaches asking you to do things like show me smiling seaweed. And a lot of people didn't know how to react to that. But then further, once you got to Montreal, uh, the company was pushing everyone out of their comfort zone. Um, I think your quote was, we needed to fall off the edge. That's where commonplace becomes extraordinary. And uh, I thought that was a great line from your book. Uh, Talk about applying that kind of methodology to your painting explorations. Are you trying to, to fall off an edge? How are you pushing yourself? Constantly falling off an edge. And, and sometimes this is the, the painful, frustrating part of the, the artist, at least for the type of artist that I am. And there's no right or wrong, by the way, in, in a process. Some artists have found their style and they copy, paste, repeat that style and they, they can recreate the painting over and over again with a few variations and, and it's very significant and it's sort of a, a very linear process and that works for them I have trouble with that sometimes because I never want to copy paste repeat because if I do for me then that's not me living in the moment of whatever emotion I'm feeling at the time so I am constantly experimenting with each and every painting the the plus side of that is again something that I prefaced earlier on is that I can step back and be like, wow, I, I, I feel this painting. It's, it's exactly what I wanted it to be. And then there are other times where I've been in the studio for four hours and I'm extracting things and I'm, and there are days when the painting is a complete and utter failure. And I've learned to be okay with that because that's the part of the, the growth, the evolution of me, of anybody as a human being, let alone as an artist. So I'm constantly experimenting with new colors. There are days that I, I ran out of paint and I'm limited to two colors. So now the challenge becomes, what can I create with these two colors? And then I realized, well, actually, I can't create anything with these two colors. But that's the learning curve. That's the beauty for me of, of expression is we, we discover our strengths, our limitations, what's important to us, what we need to let go of through that freedom and, and the 
taking the risk and stepping out of our comfort zone. I'm not. Five minutes ago, I, I'm no longer the same person right now that I was five minutes ago. And I like to bring that to my artwork. It definitely shows through in your artwork. All the, the motion, emotion, the colors, the vibrancy. How does uh, composition figure into your to your artwork? Are you thinking about technical composition rules like the golden mean or rule of thirds or are you instinctual with your your composition i love that question so all of the above again going back to the academia of unlv you you know some of the basics you learn is composition there's no right or wrong in composition but there are standard guidelines that we we follow and you can leverage so what happens is with anything that we do long enough I take, I take sports, I take dance, acrobatics. While you're the student, you're having to focus on, well, I need to do this, right? So if, if I teach somebody how to walk who's never walked, it's a bit robotic. But then after a while, they've been walking so much, it now becomes natural to walk and now become dance because it's become instinctual. It's still based on what they learned, but they've mastered it and it becomes instinctual. So I now rely that on instinct that, I have an understanding of good and bad composition and I have to trust that it's going to kick in in the painting. Having said that, there is a moment where I step back and I have to, this is the other part that I learned about Cirque du Soleil, by the way, in my, in my creative process is what they were brilliant at is whatever happens, whatever the environments, everybody that I'd worked with before, it was always a scripted, here's what we're going to teach you, here's what we're going to do. Cirque du Soleil was all about, well, how can we use, we have this challenge of this light beam in the way. So how do we use that? It now becomes a part of the choreography. And then they step back and they, they think, oh, that doesn't work. But what if we tried this? With, and I do that too. I step back and then I realize, oh, there's something missing up here. Oh, let me grab, let me grab this, this pink paint right here. Let me just do one little splat. That's it painting is finished so i do leverage both but their composition is, is i think crucial to the success the communication of a, a piece of art yeah let me dive into your life story that i kind of teased the audience with earlier so you describe yourself as a belgian national but um you have been in many places six months old you left uh, what was then called the republic of the congo fled to belgium uh, bounced around, landing in England. Uh, you went into the English uh, foster care system, uh, then back to Belgium, then Canada, the U.S. Are you a man with no home? Or are you a man with many homes? And how does that affect your art? That's a, a, quite a, a, an emotional talking point for me because there's beauty and ugliness and pain in both answers. I... I can adapt and belong anywhere, but I belong nowhere. And going back to stories, there's the story we tell the world, and then the there's the story we tell ourselves internally. And then we make this choice of how can I leverage that or can I play victim? The challenge for me, and this will apply to a lot of people who have any type of diverse background. We now have a lot of people in America who are first generation and it's like, well, am I this or am I that? So the way I break it down is my father's Caucasian, my mother's African. So I'm too black to be white, but I'm too white to be black. 
I'm too English to be Belgian and I'm too Belgian to be English. And now I've become too European to be American. But if I go back to Europe, I'm too American. And so it kind of puts me in this place of no man's land. However, there's a part of me that is still Belgian. So I can go back to Belgium and still relate and be relatable, but I don't quite feel at home. And, and, and the beauty of that is it has allowed me to embrace people for who they are and for who they are not. So for example, I meet somebody from another country. I'm curious and fascinated by it because I've been exposed to different ways of thinking, different cultures, and that becomes a part of my story. I find commonalities with people because, oh yeah, I can, this Belgian part of me relates to your chocolate story. And, oh, this American part of me relates to your hamburger story and hot dog story. And so I leverage my story to allow myself to connect, to relate to other people. So it's both, it opens up the world if I choose to, but it can also isolate me and shut me off that, oh, woe is me, I don't fit in, nobody loves me, nobody understands me. You know, the cliche, misunderstood artist. So I, I get to choose, we get to choose our internal story, how we leverage that. Well, that's a great segue to my next question. One of your favorite quotes is from Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl. The last of human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Yes. So you have been through some real highs and lows in your life. You are a person who you say doesn't really fit in at the same time. You kind of have a piece of every, every place you've been. Talk about how a person's story that they tell themselves kind of defines their purpose. You could be seen as a triumph or a tragedy depending on any given section of your life. Yes, absolutely. Um, you asked a lot of deep questions. <laughs> so in terms of our personal story, humans fundamentally, we are driven sort of by two things. We either run away from pain or we run towards pleasure. They're both fantastic motivators. The part about the pleasure, it's uplifting, it's optimistic, it's hopeful because, oh, that feels great and, and this and that. But pain is also a beautiful motivator. And one thing I've learned along my emotional ro roller coaster and through, by the way, this all ties back to my expression. The, the beautiful part about art is that it allows us to connect and understand who we are. And you talked about uh, a sense of purpose. The more you understand who you are, the more you acknowledge and understand your pain, your pleasures, your quirks, your idiosyncrasies, your strengths, your weaknesses, and then maybe more importantly, your core values. Your core values are the, the drive and the fuel to your purpose. And for the most part, you will find across the globe, what drives a person? They've had a tragedy at some point. They've, why do people begin cancer foundations? Because they lost a loved one to cancer. Why do people suddenly become advocates for suicide? Because they lost somebody that they love through suicide. And so our pain drives oftentimes our purpose. And again, it's a choice. I can live in the woe is me part and, and crumble. Oh, this happened to me. I was in childcare and oh, my mother was an alcoholic and my father was sexually abusive and woe is me. Or I can use that to greater gain, to a greater purpose. And so through my art, I want to be open and vulnerable. Yes, I feel pain. 
but I can turn my pain into, into purpose because I can, all the anger and hurt that I feel, I can take it out on somebody or I can take it out on the canvas. And so I, I've leveraged my story to drive my purpose. I, I mean, romantically, I want to inspire and empower people to, to reach higher, to fly without a net, to overcome their pain. And you seem to be doing that with your, your motivational speaking and your, and your leadership roles. Um, just out of curiosity, I know cities have an energy to them and some people find that they vibrate in tune with certain places. It seemed like from reading your books, you really felt a connection to New York, Manhattan. Yes. I love New York. You know that cliche, I heart New York. I do on so many levels because my ambitions, I initially wanted to be a soccer player, but then I got caught up into the world of the arts and entertainment and then New York was my beacon. And I sacrificed everything to go and experience this this city that I knew nothing about other than what I'd seen on MTV and then in certain movies. But there was something about this energy New York and I remember arriving in New York naive and innocent that you know I'm going to conquer the world and and I remember arriving at the airport getting in the taxi driving into Manhattan feeling like yes this is where I'm supposed to be at this moment in time doing what I'm doing and as tough as New York is there's for me there's an energy I'm, I'm observing people everybody's on the go everybody's fighting overcoming something pursuing a goal pursuing a dream not caring about what the other people, you know, this is, this is me. This is, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, I don't care what, who you are. I'm, I'm doing my thing. And I love that. Also, New York opened the door to my American dream. As a result of being in New York, struggling, struggling artist, living in a rat infested studio, I was introduced spontaneously, serendipitously to Cirque du Soleil. And so for me, that moment, we all have a defining moments in our story. Something happened and everything after that changed. New York, Cirque du Soleil is one of those defining moments for me. That's a, a, a massive component of my story. Now, you mentioned wanting to be a soccer player, a footballer, as they call it, for Manchester United yes. when you were a child. Yes. So you go from wanting to be a footballer to being a dancer to being in Cirque du Soleil. All these are very physical forms of expression. Uh, you had an injury which took you out of the circus, but what is the what is the journey from physical expression to polar opposite or maybe polar complement of this abstract art? What is that journey of of using your body versus now trying to express yourself very abstractly? Uh, the first two years of that journey was depression because the physicality had defined me in every capacity of my life. And then suddenly that's taken away from you. Well, who am I now? And I know a lot of people who listen to your podcast have probably gone through that type of transition, are going through that transition, might go through that transition. And it was very hard to navigate, to reinvent myself, but still honor the essence of who I am. I'm fundamentally, even though I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm fundamentally an artist who, who has expressed everything physically. And now I can't. So now what? That goes back to taking the time to self-evaluate what's important to me. What am I trying to say? And how do I now say it? And so I had to develop new tools. Going back to UNLV to 
learn how to paint. I didn't, I was good at drawing as a kid, but I didn't know how to paint. I didn't know how to stretch a canvas. I didn't know how to mix color. I didn't know how to write. I was terrible at English in, in, ironically, I was terrible at art in school, but it was always a part of me, but I just didn't know that. And so the journey was go, go to school and go through all the, the steps, discipline. And you picked it randomly out of a yes, course catalog. <laughs> I, I, yes, I dove into art purely. I'm about two years into life in Cirque du Soleil. Now people are going to be like, how could you possibly be bored? This is the most amazing thing in the world. And yes, it is. But no matter how amazing something is, routine becomes dangerous. And every show is different. And even though you're staring death in the face and you're sort of on edge constantly, it becomes the norm. And I needed, I needed a new challenge. I needed stimulation. Not knowing what to do, I randomly opened the UNLV catalog. You know, back in the day, it was still a paper printed out version. I open it up and I'm like, oh, drawing. Okay. And I took a drawing class, beginner's drawing, and it reconnected with something that I enjoyed as a child. I did enjoy drawing. Quickly to add to this, why I didn't like art is because one of the art lessons at school, oftentimes we had to draw something that was to do with home. Draw mum and dad, draw the dog, draw your mum ironing something. And I'm thinking, well, I live in a home. I'm ashamed of this. I, I can't draw the, a staff member and reveal to the class that I'm this abandoned orphan who lives in a home. Then I had a color identity or I can't draw my mum's African, but all the staff are Caucasian. So what am I going to draw? Who am I going to draw? And so I hated art because of that. But going back to the question of the um, UNLV thing, I took a drawing class and it resonated with me. So there's, a, there's one thing interesting. There's the passion. I, I found this passion to draw, but then there's the, there's the discipline. So then I took the intermediate, I took the advanced class. And then my teacher, the UNLV professor said, you're very painterly, would you consider painting? I'm like, no, nah, I don't know about painting. And she's not going to take it anyway. I took beginners painting. I fell in love with it and I haven't stopped. Now, you mentioned also being an entrepreneur. One thing that people will notice if they go to your Instagram, which is at Art of Vital, right. is that uh, even though your art has been featured in galleries and magazines, you very much present your art on your Instagram and website as something more personal. You show it on pillows, clothing, hanging in living rooms and bedrooms. Many artists work with the intention of being seen, but you very clearly want your work to be owned, to become part of another person's life and space. Is that purely a commercial decision? Talk about your artistic intention. It combines the two. So Vital, the entrepreneur, I understand the value of making something that is profitable that brings value and that generates revenue. So that's the entrepreneurial part of detail. But there is something really magical when your artwork has connected with somebody and they decide, forget the ownership and forget the, the financial transaction. They have decided that they want you, a part of you, in their very intimate personal space. There's no monetary reward for that, but the emotional reward that's like a standing ovation in the Cirque du Soleil show. Something that I created, that I gave, has now become a part of somebody's personal story. It's, it's one of the most beautiful, romantic things I can, I can possibly think of. On a commercial aspect, I reconnected with the entrepreneurial detail and how 
with the modern world, the world has changed. Artists now have endless options on marketing and promoting. We're not confined to have to be in a gallery. We can market on social media. We can now put our artwork and make it wearable. So the art world has suddenly adapted and it's become a new thing. I, I highly recommend to artists to explore if they already haven't to explore those avenues. How can your art reach more people financially, emotionally? And something else I noticed on your Instagram that you drew attention to is how many times the moon has featured in your paintings. Uh, talk about why you think that that has been a reoccurring feature in, in your work. What draws you to the moon? What does it mean? There are, oh, there are so many levels on, on the moon. The moon is very symbolic in terms of the human experience. The moon impacts the tides. It's this symbol of, you know, we all see the moon and it's this mysterious object. Is it real? You know, people, is it made of cheese? Is it all these, these factors? Is there, is there the dark side to the moon? You know, the Pink Floyd, there are all these things that we associate with the moon. The moon is also something, as a child, it allowed me a sense of escapism. We can stare at the moon and we can fantasize and we can dream. There's that element. So it was a, a healthy form of escape from my, my uh, Charles Dickens personal story. Then I'm also fascinated with shapes. You were talking about some of the early modern artists who just basically broke things down to shapes. So the moon, it's, it's a circle on a flat surface, but it's also a sphere. I love shapes. You mentioned soccer. Maybe the moon is a soccer ball. It's the Enzo circle. It's infinite. It's eternal. So for me, the moon is this culmination of all these factors of, of my life. It's got all these connotations. So it's for me, ultimately, the moon is one big metaphor for hope. Hope is one of my values. For me, the, the moon represents hope. One other thing I found interesting on your Instagram is your your modular work uh, where you have multiple canvas, canvases that can be put in any order. Uh, I know a lot of artists are are very particular with how their work is shown. This this way is up, has to be on this kind of mat, needs this kind of lighting. But you're creating something that is basically taken apart and put together at someone else's whim. Uh, yes. What do you what's your thought process behind that and how do you even design something that can work in multiple different configurations? I'll go back to the Cirque du Soleil story is that, and I think the power of abstract art, but what Cirque du Soleil taught me is, and it ties back to sort of my concept of freedom. What art does, it allows, it triggers the imagination and the story, the meaning, the way it's placed I leave that to the viewer. I don't want to confine the viewer to have to fit within my restrictions, within my limitations. And so, again, it's the, the freedom of art. If I limit you or constrict you that, no, it can only be this way, that's fine if that works for another artist. But then, for me, that's not one of my values. So then I wouldn't be an authentic artist if I was confining people to this box that I, that I don't like. I'm taking up a lot of your time, so I'll, I'll end with my my final question. What is your best piece of storytelling advice as an author, as a painter? I'm going to break it down into two words, and then I, I will maybe elaborate a little bit. Authenticity. 
the more authentic a story is, the more believable it becomes, the more significant and relevant it becomes, the more impact it will have. Authenticity is everything. And then the other word is vulnerability. Art is about revealing your story, your soul. And if you can't, I don't believe that art has to match the couch. If I'm being vulnerable in my emotions, again, humans are emotional beings. If If my energy, my emotional energy resonates, inspires, evokes, invokes, triggers some type of reaction, then for me, that's, that's the purpose of art. But in order to achieve that, I've got, to, I've got to openly show you who I am. And sometimes I'm really scared to do that. But going back to Sophie Soleil, they, they taught me to be vulnerable. This is who I am. If you don't like me, that's sad. It's a shame. But I'm going to stick to my story. This is who I am. This is where I came from. This is who I want to become. So vulnerability, authenticity. Yeah, those are great. Those are great starting points for any story. And thanks so much for sharing your story with us today. You can find more about Vital's work at artofvital.com. Follow him on Instagram at artofvital. You can learn more about his public speaking, coaching, and other endeavors at vitalgermain.com. And you can find his books on Amazon. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Shane. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I love the work that you're doing. Thank you. You can watch more of these podcasts on YouTube, subscribe to Spilled Ink Media. If you're more the audio podcast type, then find Beginning, Middle, End Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can tweet me at Twitter at Optional D. And we're just starting out on this journey, so any positive review, comment, or thumbs up really helps. Tune in next time as we unravel more great story threads. Thanks. The end.